0: Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks this morning for the opportunity to gather as your people in one place. Knowing that there are many of us scattered across the country and across the world traveling this summer. Some of us deployed in the military. Some of us with people who we are serving in other churches. And so we ask you to remind us of the ways in which we are connected. Because of your inescapable spirit. Thank you for drawing us together, for keeping us connected. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. We ask you to inhabit our hearts as we listen carefully for what your words are saying for us. Bless the meditations of my heart and of all of our hearts as we enter into this holy moment together, O Lord. And hold us fast driving us into the world to serve you and to serve it with integrity and grace and compassion and courage. Amen. So I I grew up in a a pretty good household, I would say. I mean, we had definite problems, but, and they got bigger when I got into high school. Um, However, I never felt the need to run away. I know some of you in this room have probably run away from home. I know that some of you probably have teenagers who have made that choice, but I remember when I was eight, I did decide to run away, sort of. I can't remember why, but one day I got a bee in my bonnet about something and I packed my strawberry shortcake suitcase. Um, And I remember I put a sandwich in it and my baby blanket. And my favorite doll baby named Rubberband Baby. And I decided that I was leaving home for good. Clearly, I'm a planner. (laughs) And I stayed under a bush in our front yard at my house in northern Ohio. Um, I I really had scoped this place out, clearly, for good shelter. Um, And it got real dark and cold in there. And so I snuck back into the house without telling my parents. And I'm sure my parents knew exactly where I was the whole time. But for some reason, I needed to go away from home for a little while. And this makes me think about how, I don't even remember why I did it. But we all need to run away sometimes, right? Like, we all feel that need sometimes to run away. Some of us run away from home. Others run away from responsibility. Others, because we're anxious or because we don't feel worthy of something. We run away from relationships. Some of us run because we're confused and we don't know what other choices we have or what else to do. But the truth is, human beings like to run. We have a lot of stories in Scripture about people who run. Pretty much every prophet. The prodigal son. I mean, we can list every, pretty much every story, see, now that I'm thinking about it, to have somebody running away in it. When it comes to running away, we really like to run away from God. The history of being human is a tale of running away from an inescapable God, though. And God does turn out to be inescapable. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, God is patient and persistent. So as we end our sermon summer mixtape series today, the final question that we actually drew from the basket was as good and as important as all the rest of them that you had offered throughout the summer. And let me tell you, you did ask some pretty good ones, but this one was just this. Where is God? Some smart Portsmouth Union member just wanted to know the answer and put it in the basket. Where is God? And I laughed a little bit reading it because I had literally just read a list of 10 questions you can ask Google that Google cannot answer. And one of them was, and I love whoever said this, man, is there a God? And if so, where is the best place to hide? I will never forget it. So, where is God is our first question, and the second one, which... For maybe for most of us, swiftly following is, where's the best place to hide? So I have bad news and I have good news for you this morning, beloved. The good news, there's definitely a God. The bad news is, there's nowhere to hide. But we hide for the wrong reasons anyway, and perhaps that's actually good news wrapped up in a bad news package. I mean, we can we can debate, but... The God we hide from is a sham version of the real God who loves and waits for us anyway. So it's actually good news to me, that we can't run away from the loving God, the gracious God, the compassionate God. In any case, Psalm 139 is our foundational scripture text this morning, and... You know, you probably, if any of you has ever read children's stories to anyone, to yourselves, to your own children, been read to, you have heard this story told a different way. So hear this word from the Now Testament, courtesy of the runaway bunny. This story, the runaway bunny, is one of my favorites. Once, there was a little bunny who wanted to run away, and so he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. But the little bunny said, If you run after me, I will become a fish, and I will swim away from you. And the mother bunny said, If you swim away from me, I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. If you fish for me, said the little bunny, I will become a rock, high on the mountain, way above you. If you become a rock on the mountain high above me, I will become a mountain climber. And I will climb to wherever you are, said the mother bunny. If you climb to where I am, I will become a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, I will become a gardener. And I will find you, she said. If you become a gardener and try to find me, I will become a bird. And I will fly far, far away. If you become a bird and fly away from me, I will be a tree that you come home to. The little bunny replied, if you become a tree, I shall become a sailboat and I will sail from you. If you sail from me, I will become the wind and blow you where you need to go. If you become the wind and blow me away, I will join a circus. And fly away on a flying trapeze. If you fly away on a flying trapeze, I will become a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air to you. If if you become a tightrope walker and try to walk across the air to me, I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you until you do not want to leave. Amen. So we must talk about who this God is, who waits for us, who indeed chases us no matter where we go. Or what else happens while God waits for us? For you see, God's waiting isn't like our waiting Just like the little bunny's understanding of running away was not the mother bunny's understanding. This kind of waiting isn't passive that God does. When we wait, think about the last time you waited. I mean, we have rooms for waiting, waiting rooms. You sit and you read boring magazines and you watch television that you wish you weren't watching. And you just sit and you stew. Or you stand in line and watch everyone ahead of you moving faster than you. When we wait, we sit idly and we twiddle our thumbs or we feel anxious or upset. Like me, under the bush in the front yard, we wait and we fill the time with maybe idle busy work or too much thinking, coloring books when we're young, meaningless busy work when we're old we think about our boredom, we dull our senses with meaningless chatter. We talk a lot when we wait. But God, God doesn't sit idly, passively, and wait. God doesn't sit in a corner and hope we'll figure it out. God matches our running away with a running toward. In the psalm that we read just now, 139, we hear that God forms us searches for us across large, dark, and perilous spaces. God's presence is a wonderful work. It's a process. I think of God in these moments as a knitter, or an artist, a weaver. God knows our every stitch from beginning to end. The psalm paints a picture of God, and the psalmist one-on-one, so intimate and close that there is nothing hidden between the two that it's almost impossible to tell the difference between what is being made and what made it. God's presence is about making something new happen, creating, overcoming even the most desperate of problems with hope and healing, showing up in the most unexpected places, and redeeming them, even while we run as fast as we can. Away. Where can I go from your spirit, says the psalmist, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I love that that sounds a little frustrated. Even if I go to heaven, you're there. I I go to Sheol. You are there too. What is up with that? I love the psalmist's tone in this. I'm sure I'm reading in a little bit. But even in Sheol, which last week Andy preached about hell, and he described what Sheol actually is, just the place where the dead are. It's a realm, according to Jewish theology, that is sort of beyond God's reach. It's just a place where people are when they go to die. But even there... David is kind of re-theologizing. He's saying, even this place that my, my rituals, my religion, my practice has told me even God isn't there, I find you, God, in that place. There is assurance that God is Emmanuel, God with us. I am still with you, says verse 17, even in the darkest dark. The psalmist entrusts his life to God in the psalm and invites God's searching gaze, is open to instruction, but we have to admit that first he runs. So what seems to be the problem? I mean, when I was reading this scripture again this week and thinking about things that are happening in our community, in our neighborhood, in our nation, across the world, and how heavy Some of those things are not how they feel, how they are. I was thinking, what's the problem here? Where do I fail in this? Where do I run? Why do I run? And I realized, and I think I have this in common with some of you, maybe all of you, that sometimes I don't really believe in grace. I mean, we talk about it all the time, we know the song. Many of us have it in our hearts in such a way we'll never leave it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But what is it? I mean, what is it, this thing we call grace? Intellectually, and because I have too much school, I know that grace is a free gift. That's even redundant. Gifts are free. But it's a free gift in which God gives all. Eternity, forgiveness, purpose, meaning, healing, resolution, all of the things. It's the way that God accepts us before we are even ready to be accepted. And says, I love you. Nothing you have ever done. Nothing you have ever been. Nothing you will ever become will separate you from me. I love you. Grace means that I love you not because of anything you do, but just because I made you. I do. Grace means that you're my child, and there's nothing you can do that will ruin that, and nothing, listen here, there is nothing that you can do to earn it. Grace means that there will be something beautiful waiting, even when I think I have sunk as deep into the muck as I can go. The problem is, God knows that we can't just intellectually understand grace. We can only experience love. If somebody tells you, I want you to think about the deepest love you have ever felt in your entire life. For whom was that love? Maybe for some of you it's a partner. Maybe for some of you it is a parent or a child or a friend. Just to hold that love. Now try to explain it to someone else. I would challenge you to be able to do that. It's impossible to explain why we love who we love. And God knows that the only way to really understand love the kind that God has for us, is to experience it. We can't intellectually understand grace. We can only experience love in order to really know it. Until you feel love, it's like a a brick wall you can't see over, right? And then you're like, oh, this is love. Now I understand. And so God meets us at the wall and offers us wings to fly over it. If you run away, said the bunny's mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. She doesn't give reasons. You're just my little bunny. The mother bunny said, if you swim away from me, I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. Now I want you to think again. When have you felt this kind of tug from God? When has God ever said something like this to you? You remember that familiar phrase in Psalm 23, perhaps. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Sometimes the word mercy is interpreted as love. The word follow is my favorite part of that sentence. <coughs> it's the uh, Hebrew word radaf, which I'm certainly butchering. And it means to pursue or to hunt, just sort of a difficult image. God pursuing each of us. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall pursue me, all the days of my life. God pursues us and follows us all the days of our lives. Now, we're in the middle of the church year. This this stretch between Easter and leading up to Advent is known as the very funny term, ordinary time. It's the Christian term for where we are. It's just a big stretch of just no special occasions. We get so used to Christmas and Easter and Lent and all of the moments that are important to us, but in the middle of the church year, I think, I think it's so important to remember why ordinary time is a thing. <coughs> it's when the sun shines for long hours and the rains are far off on the horizon, and yet we still remember the longest nights that are to come. The church year starts in winter for us here in the northern hemisphere, and it reminds us why Jesus is born in the first place, right? Here I am talking about Christmas, and we're not even to September yet. You all know how much I love Christmas. (laughs) Any excuse. But it reminds us, this long stretch is where it just kind of like, wading through all of the interminable stuff of life, ordinary stuff, ordinary time, we're reminded, yes, this too is holy. It's not just about special occasions. This too is holy. No matter where we go, no matter what is happening, God is there. God loves us in the midst of it. We need Jesus so badly in the midst of this, in the midst of this time, in this ordinariness, because we can't get from here to there, from dark to light, from ordinary time to extraordinary time during Christmas, without him. Where is God? The psalmist's answer is, everywhere. Everywhere. Inescapable. Inside us and inside others, I loved Gail's Teaching a reminder of us this morning, of praying, not just for those we know and love, but for strangers, as though they are already those we love. Because, to God, they are. God is everywhere, at the margins of creation and in its heart, with people suffering at those margins, and also in the lives of those who oppress them. That's a hard teaching The kind of presence teaches us to wait for and look for what is beyond the obvious. What is right in front of us, but also beyond it. To see God in what is not directly in front of us as well is very hard, especially when we're caught up in the scurry and the scattering of day to day life. That this moment and our perceived reality is not the whole story. It's not the whole story. The little bunny may be running away, but the mother bunny is not far behind, even if he doesn't see her. That there's always more, that we can learn to see God in the worst places, in the hardest places, in the normalest places. In the vulnerable places, in the darkest places, in the driest places, and in the faces that we find in each one of those places as well. To see God in Sheol, to look for God in the dark, it trains us to see what is beyond the apparent, and it makes us look for God in all of those places that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. All those places we have until now ignored, or even thought that it might be impossible for God to be. In the places to which, or even from where, we have run away. It's a hard learning But life, in fact, is not meant to be escaped. It's meant to be enveloping, entered into, tasted, and savored to bring us to the realization that the God who created us is and is yet to come. That God is everywhere. I think when we only find God in the places that we have titled Godly, capital G, We go through life blind to the wealth of life's parts, of God's creativity and persistent presence. I mean, of course I find God in Christmas. There's lights and presents and amazing food and all the people I love. How much harder for me to find God in a hospital room or alone when I feel depressed? Or when I'm facing addiction and that is bearing down on me once more on a day-to-day basis, or in the midst of divorce, or when someone I love has left me, how, how much harder is it to find God there? We struggle. We say, "Oh my gosh, it's too hard. God is gone. Where did God go? And in fact, God is constantly right there saying, "I'm right. I'm right with you." doesn't matter how. Small, how big the moment. How sh- it's not just those godly spaces, it's also all of these other ones. I want you to think about the ungodly places, it would, you know, ungodly with a capital UG, right? Like the places you would say, oh, that's clearly not a place God is. I want you to think about those places in your life and find them. And don't try to accept yourself from this, because we all have this in us. Where is a place that you think God might not be, or definitely isn't? And then hear these words again from the psalmist. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. It's the God who pursues us with patient, deliberative, creative, persistence, wherever we are. Wherever we are, so that we remember who we are and whose we are, to remind us that someone cares, that someone remembers, that someone knows, that someone is working alongside us to change the world with us, that someone is chasing every single one of us down until we all turn and finally say yes. Until we see that the terrible places or the ordinary places are places where God is also at work. Because we haven't finished the story quite yet, I I didn't actually read the ending of The Runaway Bunny to you. When we left the little bunny, he was still running. And his mother told him, if you become a little boy and run into a house, I will become your mother and I will catch you in my arms and I will hug you. Shucks, said the little bunny. (laughs) I might as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Shucks. The truth is that we cannot move toward God unless God has first moved towards us. And God is always moving towards us. God does wait us out, but it's not a passive waiting. It's activity. It's creativity. It's organic. It's persistent. God's prevenient grace, that's a good Methodist term, by the way. Prevenient grace means the grace that comes before all other things. It begins the bridging, and despite the resistance that we put up, God continually seeks us, envelops us in grace, and beckons us back. And I want you to hear this, because some folks have said to me recently, I have gone too far. I have run too far. I have lost my connection to that kind of grace. The beautiful thing about God being with you everywhere and in every time and in every place is that there is no too far that you can go where God will not find you. There is always a coming back. We have only to say yes. We have only to look around and to stay still. I'm going on a little long this morning, but I want to tell you briefly something that I told the Staff Parish Relations team on Thursday. Some of you know that I took a 10-day meditation retreat in uh, Washington recently. I've been practicing this form of meditation for many years. It's a silent retreat, and it is a very organized 10 days. You move through this technique of meditation called insight meditation over the course of that 10 day period. And on day four, you start to do some pretty intense work. Uh, and the, the teacher calls it a soul operation. A soul operation. And on day five of this particular 10 day retreat, I didn't even know that this was something that I was going to do. I mean, I knew I was gonna go on the retreat. I did not know I would have this experience. I couldn't have predicted it. On day five, I had an image of myself as a, do you know those cash tornado machines? Where somebody stands inside a big machine and money flies around in it and they try to grab the cash? Do you know this image from like old um, uh, TV shows and things? Or from carnivals maybe? Um, I had an image of myself as a cash tornado machine. And that I was, like, very uh, ineffectively trying to grab that money. And somebody said, unplug the machine. And I was like, OK. So of course, it's dreamscape, like, kind of vision thing. I can be both in the machine and out of the machine at the same time. And I pulled the plug, and all of the things came falling down, settling to the ground. And I realized it was not actually money. It was pieces of my soul that I had lost track of. And I spent the next 24 to 48 hours asking myself the question, where have I lost my soul lately? And I felt it come back. Like, uh, Gail always talks about her chickens and how afraid she is that they get out. I felt like somebody had opened the door of my chicken coop and my soul had flown right out the front door and didn't know how to get back in. And if I sat there long enough, if I sat in that cash machine or that chicken coop or that stupid meditation pillow that I was on for 10 hours a day for 10 days straight, if I just sat still, if I let the door be open, my soul would come back. And it did. And it did. I had to stop moving. I had to stop running. I didn't even know what I was running from. Maybe there was nothing to run from, but I was moving. And there it was. So this year, this time in your Christian life, I want to challenge you to stop moving, to stop running. Whatever that means for you. It might mean something completely different for each one of you. It probably does. But I'm going to invite you to stop and hold. Hold. Hold fast. Wait. Look around. See the sparks of humanity, the evidence everywhere hidden, showing that God is with you and within you, that God is here, that God is waiting for you to just stop running for a minute, or for five days, or for ten. Where is God? That's the question for the morning. The answer, the only one I have for you, is wherever you are, God is there. That this is a season, a time, a place to remember that God will pursue you all the days of your life. And if you keep running, God will always be there ahead of you, already present, already waiting, throwing up signs and points of light to remind you, becoming the net into which you fall when you fall from grace. So I want to invite you to hope against hope for this kind of waiting in your life. To affirm with humility and joy and faith and courage, remember this scripture, God waits for you, you have only to be still. This God who is here and there and everywhere, if you can, but stay long enough, stay long enough, and still enough to see. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, I am immensely awed by your willingness to pursue each one of your beloved people, to hold us, to be with us. We pray this morning that there would be An opening of hearts and souls and minds and eyes so that each one of these, your people, will know exactly where you are. Because where you are is with and for us. Thank you, Emmanuel. God with us. We give you so much thanks and gratitude and praise. Amen. I want to invite you all, as you see where God is this morning, to share peace with one another. Perhaps we'll see that God is actually here in the face of another person, in you, that you can share in this place, in this day. So I ask you to rise and share that peace with one another, say, peace of Christ be with you, and you can respond. And also with you, excellent, I'll call you back with uh, our usual song, Spirit of the Living God. So when you hear me singing that alongside Steph, please come back into the space and we will continue in worship together.